Have you ever wondered what the world would be like if people really listened to each other? Me too. In a noisy world, how do we focus on listening to the things that matter? Do you feel heard? And are you able to make others feel heard? Join me and guests from around the world as we tackle these important questions and become better listeners along the way. I'm conductor and creator Timothy Myers, and this is Listening on Purpose. Our guest today is Michael Jasny. Michael is a leading expert in the law and policy of ocean noise pollution. Currently, he is the director of the Marine Mammal Protection Project at the National Resources Defense Council. Michael was a consulting producer of the Emmy Award-winning documentary film Sonic Sea, which you can learn more about at sonicsea.org. After this episode, I'm confident you will never think about the ocean in quite the same way. Michael Jasny, thank you for being with us on Listening on Purpose. Pleasure being with you. Michael, I would love to start off with hearing a little bit more about your background and what got you to where you are today. I've always been passionate about endangered species. When I was a kid, I uh, just uh, very much wanted to help animals, and that influenced my path after college. I, I went to law school intending to get involved with environmental law and particularly wildlife law. And then from there, you know, a, a lot of what happens, I think, to folks in many different professions is that opportunities open. They see a problem, for example, that they, they think requires attention and they dive into it. And that's, that's exactly what happened to me. Fascinating. That was one of my questions. Did you go to law school with this as a mission? And it sounds like that was with you from the very beginning. Yeah, uh, certainly saving species, improving conservation outcomes for wildlife was, was a mission. Ocean noise at the time I went to law school was an unknown issue. There were a few people doing research on the influence of oil and gas development on Arctic species in the United States, but that's really the extent of it. It's really an issue that began to uh, attract attention in the in the mid 90s. I, I was uh, sort of on the ground floor of that and interest uh, and concern about it based on the uh, a whole lot of science has has expanded exponentially in the last 20 years. Yes. And I want to get to that because that's a big reason for us being here is learning more about that. I wonder if quickly you could tell us a little bit about the Natural Resources Defense Council, which is the organization for whom you work. Natural Resources Defense Council, or NRDC, we always say NRDC because the full name just trips the tongue. NRDC is at this point an old and venerable environmental organization. It was, it was founded uh, in 1970, the, the year of the original Earth Day, by a, a bunch of Yale Law students who wanted to transform the energy that was in the air in that magical year into law and policy. And they played a significant role in the development of what we now understand as, as our bedrock environmental law. Endangered Species Act, Clean Water Act, National Environmental Policy Act. For me, uh, the Marine Mammal Protection Act, which is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. The organization is, has just been in the in the heart of things from the from the get go. When I was a law student, I found myself naturally attracted to it because it seems so many of the the most important cases 
in environmental law, the, the, the cases that you that you're directed to if you're if you're studying all matter of environmental law and policy, they have NRDC in their caption. And it uh, continues to be uh, just a, a really important organization, um, not only on the litigation side, but lobbying policy development, just uh, hugely important across uh, a, a gamut of environmental issues. I'm really glad you're with us today because this is part of the podcast is creating more listening, but really around issues also, because some some of these are, are, are issues that tend to be really binary and, and polarizing. I first came to know about you through a documentary that a friend recommended I watch called Sonic C. People can find that at sonicc.org. It's a really fascinating, it's about an hour long, a really fascinating film that's beautifully produced in every way. The visuals, the, the music, the, the writing, the directing, everything is really well done. And you were one of the producers of that. You also appear in the film. And so that's how I, I learned about you. And I want to get deep into Sonic C because this is really, this idea of, of listening in this way was one that I had never, ever considered before. It's incredibly fascinating because I, I do love the ocean going there tomorrow, actually. <laughs> but, you know, it's just something that I had never, ever considered before. And so I want to start it off, if I could, with a quote that comes from you in, in Sonic Sea that really caught my attention. And you said, just as air is a brilliant medium for light, water is a brilliant medium for sound. And so I'm wondering if using that as a springboard, we could get into mm. what is Sonic C, what was the importance of that project, and what does it bring to light? Sure. Well, well, thanks so much, Tim. I, I really appreciate that. When we went about making Sonic C, when, when it was just a kernel of an idea, we really thought hard about the problem of communicating this issue to people. Anything concerning the oceans is inherently hard to communicate, right? Because it's happening out of sight. It's happening beneath the waves. It's happening in an environment that most humans don't spend a lot of time in. But on, on top of that, ocean noise engages humans in another way that's remote, in that it's about hearing, whereas the, the primary sense, uh, the primary medium uh, for, for human interaction and experience, uh, most humans, is visual. So you, you take an issue that is kind of twice removed from your typical audience, and you need somehow to make it relevant. That's what we, what we tried to do with, with Sonic Sea, and I'm happy to, to, to talk about the film and, and how, we, how we tried to accomplish that. Yeah, that would be great, because I, you've just opened another, another door that I hadn't even thought about. I definitely want to hear more about ocean noise and some of the issues that that's raising and talk more deeply about that. But I do want to dig in right now a little bit more on what you just said about trying to get people to listen to what you had to say and how you crafted the approach. There's so much passion pouring out of every part of that film. It's mm -hmm. extraordinarily evident, even when watching the trailer. It just draws you in, uh, mm -hmm. in, in a way, and in, in the storytelling approach is really beautiful. So. Talk, talk more about that, about your using that as a device to communicate something really important. Yeah, you actually, I think, put your finger on part of what we were what we were trying to do. Um, we were trying to use 
storytelling, we're trying to use narrative as a means of, of centering individual humans in relationship to this problem and, and to the way in which animals experience sound under underwater. What we did is we, we found a, a number of, of scientists and, and other folks who had direct experience in one way or another with, with noise in the ocean. And we, we crafted the film around their stories. A- another thing we try to do is, is to bridge the gap, the sensory gap between species like whales and fish on the one side and humans on the other. We did that by visualizing sound throughout the, throughout the film and also just trying to bring as, as much richness in the, in the audio in, in that film as we, we possibly can. In fact, when people uh, ask me about the movie or when I'm recommending the movie, I typically suggest that you know, if, they're, if they're not watching in a home video system with an elaborate speaker set up that they, you know, they watch in their laptop and just plug headphones in to the screen because the, the sound mix is really, is really rich. And then the, the last thing I would say, and this may be a little more subtle, but I think a kind of a, a subtext of the film is connection. And to my mind, it's really an important theme when we're talking about an issue of ocean noise. We can get into this in a moment, but biologically, some species use sound to communicate over enormous distances. This is true of, of a lot of whale species, for example. And one of the effects that ocean noise has is to mask or blot out those sounds, make them extremely difficult to hear so that a whale that is trying to attract a mate can't be heard by potential mates out there. Just to, you know, just to use one example. What we tried to do in the film, I, I think, is to create a sense of, of connection among the humans in the film across wide geographies in a way that mimicked the, the way in which animals are uh, species are connected in the ocean through through sound. I, I I realize without talking about ocean noise that may that may seem a bit esoteric, but it was for me it was it was a really important idea that we tried to include. Yeah, no, I I think it 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 does really come across that way. Let's get into that though. Something you said there was something in the film that a noise making device was put, I believe, in the southern Indian Ocean, and that the sound traveled as far as you were listening, which was some 17,000 kilometers away. And that was just the furthest listening point. That brings me back to your quote of, water is a brilliant medium for sound. So why is this and, and what's happening now that's creating a problem here or what things are happening? So the, the ocean really is a world of sound. And that, that's the case for just basic physical reasons. You can't see very far in the ocean, as we know, if you've, if you've ever gone scuba diving, you know, maybe, you've, maybe, you've, maybe you've, you've dived off Hawaii, that's where I learned how to dive, and, and there aren't a lot of nutrients down there in the tropics, and you can see pretty well, but pretty well means a couple hundred feet at the, at the most. So, you know, if, if, you're, if you're an animal, being able to see it was only going to get you so far. And in a lot of a lot of ocean conditions, you know, a blue whale, uh, hundred feet long, can't even see its own flukes. But if you want to take advantage of sound, 
that's that's another story because sound travels about four to five times faster and many many times farther in water than it does in air particularly low frequency sounds they're just not absorbed by seawater the way that they they are by air and so a sound you know made in this case the example you cite from the film down in the the southern indian ocean uh, can be picked up off the coast of oregon with uh, with with some un- underwater microphones that's just the extraordinary nature of of sound in the water and and many species have evolved to take advantage of that it is interesting just to parallel this idea with what has come up surprisingly with many of the other guests for the podcast and that there's an element of survival to listening for for many species and so this is just one that i hadn't considered directly before what is changing now that is creating challenges for these species and that is Mm. therefore the basis of your passion i mean i would say everything is changing because because sound is so rooted in the behavior of so many marine species any kind of encroachment on the the habitat the acoustic habitat in which uh, these animals have evolved over many thousands of years can you know, modifies their behavior in some cases uh, significantly affects their ability to survive and thrive in many many ways so you know just to take some very disparate examples boat noise uh, and some other kinds of noise as well have have been shown to reduce anti-predator response in various species of fish it's not entirely clear why. Maybe it's just an attentional, an attentional shift. They're, they're just not paying attention to what they should be paying attention to. But whatever the cause is, their ability to respond to predators declines significantly. On the other hand, some predators seem to be indifferent to sound. They'll, they'll continue hunting. And when you, when you combine these, these two facts, you see that there's a pretty big advantage that, that predators have when they're exposed to you know, even moderate levels of boat noise. Given that boat noise travels very far, and given all the vessels that are, that are in the water, the ocean noise has really altered the, the balance of of life in numerous predator-prey relationships over very large spatial scales in within a very short period of time in evolutionary terms. That's just one example. To talk about whales as well, a totally totally different case, going going from the small to the to the enormous. But you know they're 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 facing their own problems. I'm just when a point of clarification, as I understand it from from the film, is that a lot of what you're referring to as boat traffic as shipping traffic and that this has increased exponentially over the decades and that now at any point there are tens of thousands of large shipping or container ships at sea at any one time. Yeah, there there are uh, about 60,000 commercial vessels, it's not just container ships, just plying the ocean at, at any moment, at any given moment. Most of that shipping is concentrated in the northern hemisphere, so there's a, a pretty significant difference in ambient levels of noise in the north versus versus the south. But yeah, if you try to map it, and indeed we 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 do try to map it with the help of our friends from Google in Sonic Sea, just showing 
the, the vessel tracks, not, not even the noise radiating from the ships as they, as, as they move. You, you can see that we've fundamentally changed an aspect of, of habitat for many marine species over the majority of the world's ocean. So let's talk a little bit about whales. And what I really want to get to uh, through this, you know, hearing more about your work is gaining a better understanding of why this is an important conversation to have and direct impacts. But let's, let's keep it underwater, so to speak, for a, a few more minutes. <laughs> and what's the impact that you are noting on, for example, whales? Yeah, it's, it's really a diverse set of impacts. And I think that is uh, just a reflection of of the many roles that sound plays in the the life cycle of whales and you know and other cetaceans. So you know, for for example, a lot of biologists have compared this rise in ocean noise, and particularly the rise in shipping noise, to a kind of smog, as in kind of an oceanic smog or a fog that is preventing animals from from hearing one another there are some species like like fin whales and and blue whales that have evolved to communicate over very large areas of ocean space by very large i mean across ocean basins so that you know a a fin whale sounding off the the coast of virginia can be heard by another fin whale off off europe and, and I mean, I think this is just you know, one example used, used in the film. With that fog, the sensory range of, of these animals has shrunk, has shrunk to, to something that is orders of magnitude smaller than what they evolved to, to use uh, for, you know, for, for, for finding mates, for example, or for foraging cooperatively which you know is, is essential to their ability to survive and, and reproduce. Another scientist a colleague of mine compared ocean noise or actually particularly oil and gas exploration. This is firing of air guns uh, or uh, multiple air guns in the water every 10 to 12 seconds or so for weeks or months on end. Beyond a short distance of, of those air gun arrays, the sound is continuous and, and a colleague compared this to a uh, an unending thunderstorm. So just just imagine that that that's what you're living in, and and you're an animal that is exquisitely sensitive to sound and needs to be able to to hear well to thrive. That's an example of a chronic problem. To give you to give you a a, a different flavor of example, one of the reasons why this issue began to attract a lot of attention is because certain kinds of noise, certain kinds of human activities involving noise were connected with a series of, of mass whale strandings. This is back in the late 80s into the 90s. The strandings were very odd, and this is why they, they caught people's attention. They were odd because they involved a family of species known as beaked whales that very seldom strand. They're, they're Deep water animals, they're some of the, in fact, they, one species of beaked whale has the deepest recorded dive of, of any marine mammal, some 3,000 meters, which is staggering. So these guys don't come to shore very often. And when they do strand, 
they strand in single single numbers. But all of a sudden, biologists were taking note of events, stranding events, involving 10, 15, 20 beaked whales scattered over 100, 200 kilometers of, of beach. It, it was you know just extraordinary and was inexplicable until the same biologists began to correlate these stranding events with uh, naval activity and particularly the use of certain kinds of very high intensity active sonar systems. And those, those systems are not only affecting those whales behaviorally, but also affecting them physiologically. What, what happens is that the whales have a, a maladaptive response to the sound. They probably perceive it as a predator. And they alter their dive patterns in response in ways that physiologically they can't handle. And these, these species are on the knife edge of what is possible for a mammal to do. And in, in altering their dives in, in the way that they do, they, they incur decompression sickness, you know, what, we know, what we know as the bends, and suffer all kinds of tissue damage in doing so. So that, that's, that's another example. I mean, you've got, you've got everything from these, these chronic effects from a kind of ocean fog affecting large whales to these acute effects that in some cases result in, in serious injury and death. That was a very gripping part of the film. And in fact, it, the film starts kind of in the middle of that story and it's, it's really fascinating. I can't recommend it enough. And I'd love to shift our conversation a little bit more towards impact. You, you are spending your life in this, and it's something about which you're passionate and that you hmm. believe there has to be progress here. But I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. What's the everyday impact this increase in sonic pollution of our oceans is having, will have? I know that part of what you do is trying to amplify mm -hmm. this into the future and say, if we don't do something about this, here's what we could be looking at. I'd love for you to expound on that. Sure. I mean, it's a, it's a great question. I, to me, the, what, what really drives me on this issue, what makes me passionate about it, has to do with its close connection with the industrialization of the sea. So much of what humans do in the ocean, whether intentionally or unintentionally, makes loud noise. And that loud noise has just fundamentally altered an essential element of, of marine habitat. When we look ahead in the future to an ocean that is already degraded by climate change and is, is only going to to decline further, uh, to become you know, less hospitable uh, to many marine species. It is going to be essential that marine life has uh, an otherwise healthy environment to thrive in. If you've got animals that are changing their distribution in response to climate change, getting placed in entirely new areas of, of ocean, they need the, the capacity to to find new sources of food, to communicate with one another uh, over appreciable distances, to reform their communities. And with uh, their acoustic habitat degraded, with this essential element to their habitat missing, that is, is just going to be all, all the more difficult. 
So for me, this, this issue is just, it's fundamental to marine conservation in an age of ecosystemic change and to the way in which humans interact with, with the ocean across you know, multiple sectors of human activity. I would love to hear a little bit more about this because I think marine interaction and then what happens if these species don't find hospitable environments in, in which to live, um, if, you know, if we continue down this path, you know, what happens and then, you know, our marine life isn't thriving and what's the impact of that on us as everyday people? Yeah, I mean, humans depend on on marine life uh, around the world for for sustenance. You know, the, the prognosis for uh, so many species of fish, commercial species of fish and invertebrates, isn't great. Um, that's partly due to climate change. It's partly due to, to bad fishing practices. We're also degrading marine habitat in, in fundamental ways. We're, we're just making it very difficult for species to recover. And in doing so, we, we are only going to be depriving so many humans of an integral uh, nutritional source. So, I mean, that, that's certainly one of the ways in which this this will rebound poorly on humans. I, I mean, I would also say we have a fundamental responsibility. I would describe it as as moral responsibility to to take care of of the oceans. If I were a more of a religious person, I would say there's there's a responsibility of you know of care of shepherdhood. You know, we're we are horribly failing that. I I think it's easy to to put the oceans out of mind. It's easy for humans to think of the oceans as an illimitable, inexhaustible resource. But, you know, neither of those things is is true. It's something for which humans need to take a kind of direct moral responsibility for. And, and noise is one kind of unifying or Catholic way in which to, to think about that responsibility because it is it's an element of so much uh, human activity in the sea. And also interesting to think about listening to the sea as its own element, which I mm. think is something before Sonic Sea I, I had not really ever done, even though I love the water. And I love spending time in the water. And I, I know several fly fishing guides, for example, in states like Montana. And they're all very concerned about the fishery. And this is in, in freshwater, but it's really interesting and disarming to see their grave concern for what's happening to you know the Blackfoot River and things right. like that. It's really, this is something we need to be talking more about. And I'm hoping just to create more dialogue around this issue and that you're working on and that others are working on and expanding our idea of listening to listening to our environment and to into what it's it's telling us and you know beyond just listening to someone speaking or music or things but you know what is nature trying to tell us i think is a really important distinction to consider i'm curious i know that you do have you know time with the first time we we uh, had this interview scheduled for we we had to postpone because you were presenting to the current administration uh, on some some of these findings and so i'm curious in that environment and now this is moving to interpersonal listening 
and communication right. kind of back to how you tried to position the film to do that. If you are speaking about this to someone who might be on completely on the other side, who might be viewing this as a binary issue, how do you try and create more listening and dialogue around this work? Yeah, that, that's, a, that, that's a great question. I mean, one way I've done it in the last five, six years is, is through the film. We have the full hour-long film. We've cut it down uh, as well for, for different industries. Um, for example, we have a, a shorter version that is just focused on shipping noise. And we've used that, that shorter version in so many different contexts. I mean, I've, I've shown it to representatives of, of individual shipping companies. I, we've, through the auspices of the Canadian government, we've shown it at the, Inter- at the International Maritime Organization in London. It's, it's a, a wonderful way of communicating the problem in terms that that are I, I think you know relatively easy to to understand and that that try to 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 break through a lot of the the complexities in any kind of complicated environmental issue beyond that my approach has always been to assume that there are significant numbers of people in any institution who want to do the right thing environmentally and what you need to do is just give them the information and tools that they need in order to be able to to change policy with within their within their organizations it's been a different story for this issue with with every sector that we've engaged in in general i i find myself pretty optimistic that there there are people in virtually every industry who are open to to listening about environmental concerns and and trying to uh, adapt to those concerns that's encouraging to hear from a layman's perspective it's it's hard to tell what are the solutions that you have found the easiest to pursue uh, as far as finding agreement right and moving forward with something actionable in this work it, it really does vary by sector. I, I think for a long time, the easiest solutions to get agreement on were operational ones, ones that involved looking for whales or, or other protected species around a, a vessel or a, the site of some activity and to, to take some kind of action if, if they were seen or, or detected. We, we realized from the get-go that there are natural limitations with that approach. It's very difficult to spot many species of marine mammals, even under the best of, of conditions. And moreover, the kinds of impacts that ocean noise has is typically felt over an area much larger than, than could uh, feasibly be, be monitored. So then... You know, we we work to try to get agreement around other kinds of operational measures, like planning to avoid certain habitat that was important to particularly vulnerable species of of marine mammals. We've been trying to move, perhaps more recently, is is towards design, which isn't to say that these operational measures aren't important as well, but they're 
they're clearly um, not sufficient. So, for example, for construction noise used in wind farms and, and you know, many, other, many other kinds of projects, one solution is to use technology to attenuate noise, to contain, to contain the noise around a pile that's being driven into the substrate. If we're, if we're looking at, at vessels, you know, there are all kinds of things that could be done to the propeller. There are all kinds of other solutions that are uh, on the horizon as well that can reduce or contain the noise from, from uh, propeller cavitation, which is the, the, the chief source of, of, of vessel noise. So that, that I think, is, is uh, it's an ongoing uh, struggle. To, to try to, through creating incentives, through using regulation, through dialogue, through creating markets, I, to, to move industries into adoption of, uh, of technologies that, that really reduce their, reduce their footprint. And we're seeing success in, uh, already significantly in, in offshore to a smaller degree. I think we're really just starting out uh, on, on the side of vessel noise. Amazing. I'm glad you're experiencing some success. This is such an important thing. And, you know, I have young children. And as I think about the future of, you know, what what are we leaving? I think this is an important one to consider. I would love it if we could turn it personal a little bit, not personal for you, personal for the listener. And is there one practice you would invite our listeners to Mm. engage in, to try and deepen the way that they think about listening to the environment? Oh yeah, so many things come to mind. <laughs> I mean, part of it, it, it it's well, it's hard for a lot of people to get in the water, right? I, I could say, yeah, you should go diving, <laughs> and and just keep your ears open, and you'll so many places you might go diving, you're going to hear this very high frequency noise, and it's it, it's kind of like a crackling sound, and that that's that's typically snapping shrimp, and you, you can you can you can try to experience the the ocean in that way, but. You don't you don't need to go to the ocean for uh, for that kind of experience or that kind of analogous experiences. You just just walk in the woods, get out there early before other people are around. Um, stay in some still position if you're a bird watcher. You know you know how it, you know how it goes and and just just listen to to sounds and it it can be difficult if you're not a biologist, but you can in some situations you know begin to yourself put sounds together with other sounds and and make make connections and and get get a sense of how of how um, animals are are using sound in some cases for mutual aid within the environment you you happen you happen to be and another thing i'll just i'll flag there's a program that the national oceanic and atmospheric administration has has been running with with the U.S. Navy and stemming out of some litigation of ours uh, half a dozen years ago, called Sanct Sound. The first syllable is just short for sanctuaries and national marine sanctuaries. And th- this program placed hydrophones or underwater microphones strategically within uh, a host of national marine sanctuaries and has you know recorded uh, many many thousands of hours of of sound and and has analyzed that sound in all kinds of interesting ways for purposes of management, but also for the public to, to better understand these, 
these sanctuaries of, of ours, uh, which are really part of a, a, a natural heritage of, of the United States. And if you go to that website, which is sanctsound, I think it's sanctsound.gov, you could Google it. You can spend hours not only listening to sounds, they're nicely curated by, by, by the principal investigators, but you can just poke through their data portal and, and see all kinds of fascinating things going on. I mean, degrees of, of how or you could see how much shipping traffic is, is altered, particular particular sites. You could how how difficult it can be for uh, certain species to hear one another uh, over that den. I mean, all of it is is there presented pretty neatly in this this wonderful government portal. So, you know, I, I, I think there there are lots of ways to to tune in and and make yourself aware of uh, this just remarkable aspect of of the natural world that we th- those of us who who are fortunate you know to to have sight tend to neglect yeah we've talked a lot about how listening is really something that's that's overlooked because we especially recently we were becoming just more and more visually oriented and how sound is really much much more complex to to understand and the way it happens and the many layers of it than than our vision and I'm wondering, based on what you just said, if we're talking aspirationally, what would our world look like with more of that kind of listening that you just described? I think in many ways it would require us to engage in a, in a kind of empathy with, with the natural world. It requires us, I want to say, see <laughs> the world May it may it be the right word, through through the vantage of of other species in in a way that we ordinarily don't, and that can only be healthy for our relationship with the environment. I love that you just brought it to empathy. I think that's something that through this exploration of listening, that I would love to build more of, to create more of, in in our in our world. Going back to talking about the film and, and your goals for, for the film, you gave it a, the subtext of connection and connecting people to mm. this idea and creating listening around this issue. How can humans learn from the disconnection that is happening between us and mm. marine life? One of my favorite parts of of Sonic Sea is a, is a montage. It, it's kind of a verbal montage. There are lots of images that, that accompany it. And in that montage, you have a number of, of biologists in different parts of the world, different ages, different experiences, talking about moments of connection that they had mm. with, with the ocean, typically with, with marine mammals. A, a kind of a rare thing for for a lot of us ordinary mortals of experiencing a kind of interspecies yeah. sense of, of communication. I mean, having that beyond with our dogs and cats, but having that with some individual uh, wildlife, that to me has always resonated, mm. that sequence, because it it offers some possibility of, if not understanding, than at least attempted understanding with creatures whose modality of existence, I mean, is just radically different 
from our own. I think I think that kind of that kind of listening of leaving yourself open to to connection. I mean, truly open to connection is is something that can guide us in in in, in some ways in our in our own interpersonal uh, contacts and in our contacts with the larger human world. I, I will say that for all those biologists, those moments were conditioned on something extreme or unusual for even for them Mm -hmm. in in the water i mean one just to cite one example one of those one of those biologists was lost he was he was in a canoe or a kayak in the pacific northwest and he was in a fog he couldn't find his way and and he had this remarkable moment of connection with with i think i think it's a pod of orcas Mm -hmm. hopefully it doesn't require those moments of extremity to to lead us to to listen harder i think the challenge is to you know keep ourselves open and alert to the natural world to other people in our ordinary lives well said i think that's it right is is providing space for that connection to happen and that's what that's what true listening is is listening Mm -hmm. for what's someone something is actually saying uh, and and being open to hearing whatever that is. Mm. I remember uh, talking to a friend in grad school. She and her family had gone on a vacation to uh, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, and they were on a kayak, a guided kayak trip. And there were whales breaching around them, and how the guide had them just gently tap on the top of their kayak so that the whales would know where they where they were and because they could they were so sensitive to sound that they could hear that and and be able to locate yeah. where the people in kayaks were and that's such a mind-blowing concept that these giant animals have that sort of sensitivity and able to locate something mm-hmm. and I'm just really still blown away by the idea of how far and how presently sound travels in the ocean you know I experience it as a musician and you know a lot mm-hmm. of it is right there with an orchestra but the, this these are sounds that underwater would travel for thousands and thousands of kilometers it's a remarkable world and and to go back to go back to the thought i mean it's it's a world that supports connection over a very long distance i mean humans kind of got here in some ways only in the last 100 years with the advent of the telegraph and the telephone and and now our digital universe but Whales have been having the equivalent of intercontinental <laughs> conversations for for a very long time. Wow, what a great way to think about it! Sound has existed long before other other mediums, hasn't it? I have a a little bit of a parting question. If you could broadcast a simple message about sound or listening that would be translated into every language, <laughs> what would it be? Oh my, that, that's that that's a a really hard question because of course it's hard to crystallize this issue into into a single word, you know, and and it's awfully tempting to just say listen, because that that itself seems to to cover so much. If if I maybe I can go with a slightly different direction with this and talk about what people can practically do because ocean noise is. Is is kind of coextensive with with human use of of the ocean. 
it, it tends to overlap with with some of the drivers of of climate change. So, for example, shipping. You know, we we get so many consumer products from from very far away, from places like China. We get we get lots of produce from here in North America, from places that are very far away, like Chile, and uh, for grapes. And just to use one example, I, I would I would encourage encourage listeners to try to in thinking about this issue let it be another motive for doing what we all know we need to do to reduce our individual climate footprint and that that means trying to trying to eat locally trying to trying to buy locally sometimes it can be more expensive but insofar as you can do it you know and and avoid avoid those the temptations that i always have in the market not buying those grapes from from 3000 or 6000 miles away and instead you know try to uh, live a little bit closer to home i love that how you just brought that around to an act of listening that we can all do this actionable thing to be better caretakers of our earth and and listen better to her Michael, this has been amazing. I've learned so much and I'm really grateful for you sharing this hour with us and for what you've taught us and the insights that you've brought to this conversation. And I do want to encourage people to watch the Sonic Sea film. As I mentioned earlier, it's beautifully done. It's something we need to be more aware of and it's, it's somewhere we need to be considering the impact that, that we are having and coexisting with these other species on our planet earth. So thank you for being here, Michael. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you would like to answer or anything that you would like to add before we end? No, it's just been, it's been a total pleasure, Tim. And please, uh, if, if, if folks are interested, do watch the film because it says a lot more and says it in, in, in clear ways than I ever could, how you know, important this problem is. Absolutely. So it's, you can find the film at sonicc.org. And with that, thank you so much, Michael. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for listening to Listening on Purpose, hosted by me, Timothy Myers. I hope you are enjoying our deep dive into the world of listening and are finding it useful in your life. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and a review. You can visit listeningonpurpose.com to sign up for an email list that includes special episode highlights, show notes, and more information about our guests. To find out more about me, please visit timothymyers.com or find me on Facebook at Timothy Myers Conductor or Instagram at Mo T. Myers. Listening on Purpose is a production of Extra Musical. Executive producers are Meredith Carter for EQV Media and yours truly for Extra Musical. Listening on Purpose is edited by Brian Baltashevitz for Balto Creative Media. Original music was composed by DJ Spar and performed by DJ and Kimberly Spar. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time for Listening on Purpose.